Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is episode number 1100 with Jamie Wheel, part two. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Roy T. Bennett said, no one has ever achieved greatness without dreams. And Helen Keller said, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. My guest today is Jamie Wheel, who is the author of the global bestseller and Pulitzer Prize nominated Stealing Fire. He is the founder of the Flow Genome Project, an international organization dedicated to the research and training of human performance. And he's written a new book called Recapture the Rapture, Rethinking God, Sex, and Death in a World That it's lost its mind. This is part two of my conversation with Jamie. So if you haven't heard part one yet, make sure to go to lewishouse.com slash 1099 and listen to that as well, because that will blow your mind as well as this fascinating conversation. Because today we discuss why it's important to heal your past, the different types of brain states and how to access them, the different practices that are being researched to help achieve peak states, and why we don't have full understanding of our full human experience. Again, if you're inspired, if this is your first time here and you are finding inspiration from this episode, please share it with someone that you think would be inspired as well. Just text a friend, post it on social media. And if it's your first time here, click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts right now to subscribe to the School of Greatness there on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Jamie Wheel. It feels like every day there's a new wellness trend. Eat that, do this, avoid those, and it can be hard to know what advice to listen to. Well, what if I told you the right answer lies within you? It's true, you have to know your body to know what's right for you. And with the help of Inside Tracker, you can analyze your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you with a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better based on what your body needs. Founded by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data and offers you a clearer picture of what's going on inside. It's all based on science and specific to you. And my results from Inside Tracker came back. And on one of the things that was recommended for me was intermittent fasting seven days a week. Now, intermittent fasting is something I've tried out before and it's something I've loved and it's worked for me. So it was refreshing to know that it's in fact the right choice for my body. That's why I'm teaming up with Inside Tracker to provide all of you with an exclusive 25% off discount so you can know what your body needs. Just go to InsideTracker.com slash School of Greatness. Again, that's InsideTracker.com slash School of Greatness for 25% off. We have access to more 
transformative technologies mm -hmm. than we have ever had in human history. Therapeutic available. modalities, experiences. Yes. And, and it can be high tech and expensive, like sensory deprivation tanks mm -hmm. and transcranial magnetic stimulation and brainwave stimulations and all these things. They can be middling, like the new trials at Imperial College and Johns Hopkins and NYU and elsewhere with psychedelic therapies. They can be super low tech, like breath work mm -hmm. or light or trance, you know, um, trance EDM music, mm -hmm. um, all the way to, you know, at home with a special friend and, and psychosexual mm -hmm. practices, right. right? So there's a whole kind of stack and access and pick time, money, effort, complexity, and you too can blow yourself sky high. And, and, and the protocol is actually consistent. And in fact, um, Carl Dyseroth at, uh, at Stanford, one of Andrew's um, colleagues, has, was kind of, has been the godfather of optogenetics, so the ability to kind of stimulate light in brains mm -hmm. and turn on different genes and that kind of stuff. That's and, not EMDR stuff, is it? No, but EMDR, funnily enough, I mean, if you put a pin in that, because I'd be happy to come back to okay. this is part of this integrated <laughs> yes. theory of like peak states and trauma relief. Mm -hmm. Got it. Right? So what, he, what they found was that they, they used um, epileptic patients who mm -hmm. normally have mm -hmm. you know, such seizures and, and, and tremors and gave them ketamine. Right, so a dissociative anesthetic that also promotes, you know, depending, um, very interesting to totally otherworldly interior experiences. Sort of dissociated, like I, I have sort of have an out of body experience. It's yeah. used in battlefield as a, as an anesthetic, mm -hmm. um, and, and and it's also lately been started to get used in psychotherapy. Got it. Um, more broadly, and had been underground for a while. And what they found was is that that experience of dissociation did was well, there were two things. Subjectively, it helped as an antidepressant. So stepping out of myself for a moment, right, allow me to come back into myself with a little mm -hmm. bit more equanimity. A Bird's little eye bit. view, yeah. having awareness it was of the situation. Giving. I got yeah. to unzip the monkey suit. You're not in it, yeah. you're out of the situation looking yeah. in, reflecting. Yeah, and, and then really interestingly, they're like, oh, and what's going on when someone is under the influence of ketamine and self-reporting uh -huh. that they're having an out-of-body experience that also then is alleviating depression. It's ah, three hertz neuroelectric brainwave. Like, fascinating. Okay, so now we've got a signature that's going on. And by the way, that also happens with 5-MeO-DMT and a whole host of other psychedelics, even if they are actually interacting with different neural pathways and, and systems, right? So psilocybin, LSD, other things, Prozac are all in the serotonergic system. Mm -hmm. you know, ketamine is not, <laughs> and does, does things differently. It's not a tryptamine-based thing, but they're all doing this delta wave activity. But then they reverse engineered it, and this is the interesting part. They reverse engineered it and said, okay, now no drugs, but we're just gonna electrically stimulate your brain back to three hertz, now what happens? And same dissociative experience, and same positive mm. impact. So you're like, okay, so we used a compound to be able to reliably get the conditions we want to study. We don't need more. the drugs. Now we don't need the drugs. And the same thing happens with specific advanced meditative techniques and breathwork techniques can get you into delta waves mm -hmm. and, the, and different compounds. So mm -hmm. nitrous oxide, there was, a, there was a study with a nesiologist at MIT and they found that nitrous oxide will put you into delta wave states for three to 12 minutes. So not indefinitely, like if you're breathing it for a dental surgery, you're doing something over a long time, three to 12 minutes is all you get. But in that time, you get double the amplitude of when you're asleep. Because normally the only time, mm -hmm. like, delta waves are a little bit like the redheaded stepchild right. in the EEG world. 
right? Because people are interested in beta because that's where we do our talking. And if folks are listening to us, unless they're like multitasking, they, they, they're probably in beta if they're trying to follow this. Uh-huh. It's that's we, beta and then there's delta beta. and then there's theta, right? Yeah, except, Gamma. Except, except that it kind of goes the other way if we're dealing with Got hertz. So, so basically beta is the most fast that we have typically have access to. Above that consistently is gamma, and that's like the occasional like flash bulb, eureka kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Tends not to be unless you're like a super disciplined meditator, something mm-hmm. you can hang in. It's usually like a gestalt integrative flash. But below beta, which is our waking state normal, um, comes alpha, and that's starting to get into more relaxed, more contemplative, mm-hmm. a little bit more spacious, a little bit more kind of zen, mm-hmm. and then below, and, and potentially flow states, and then into theta, which is often, people often power down and get sleepy in it, actually. Like, unless you're trained and you know that that feeling is something to power through, most people are like, oh, I'm not up here neurotic hamster wheel, so I'm just going to power down now, right? But it's actually even more expansive. Mm. It's typically like, the hypnagogic state, like when you're lying in bed and you don't think you're drifting off to sleep, but you actually have, and you get like Jimmy Leg or you like elbow your partner or something like that, right? <laughs> or you have some whack dream where you know, you're like, wait, whoa, whoa, I guess I'm dreaming. Like that's right around theta. Mm. Below that and barely into consciousness is delta. And typically we don't have access to that while awake, right? So waking EEG researchers, consciousness researchers tend not to spend a lot of time there. And then sleep researchers are almost always focused on REM and dreaming. Mm -hmm. And Delta is deep dreamless sleep. But what happens is um, it correlates with a brainstem level reset. And and what we're seeing is that it also when you're in it, that is as close to being dead, right, as possible. (laughs) It's like backdoor lucid dreaming. Yes. But it is not without content. So if you can be conscious while in Delta, you sort of have access to the cheat codes of the cosmic browser. And this is consistent reporting, right? Across experiences, like Winston Churchill um, you know, was one of the first patients to get exposed to nitrous oxide. Mm. And he, sa- he said, you know, he said, world upon world of almost alien information reveals itself. And he goes, I, but, but it slips through your fingers and I've come to regard it really as mere substitution of, of um, mental pain for physical pain mm. in the sense of like, oh my gosh, I've just seen the light, but I can't remember. Oh man. Right? So you're like, so this is fascinating. And you realize that all of those compounds plus neuroelectric stimulation to the cranial nerves, right? And to our brainstem do that. They do a systemic reboot of the brainstem, which accompanies delta wave activity, which tends to subjectively yield equanimity out-of-body experience and access to insane amounts of highly salient or relevant or interesting information. And when we get into those states, we get out of suffering states. Is that what I'm hearing yes. you say? Well, We're getting I mean, out of pain and this, what's happening in the moment. Yeah. I mean, yet you're long gone yeah. from that. Mm-hmm. And you're basically, like I said, I mean, it, it's basic. You know how that uh, they have that vomit comet? That mm-hmm. plane that you pack, Pete, install oh, the windows man, blocked I, I up. Can't do it. And it does the roller coaster arc through the can't sky. Can't do it. And for that part, right, everybody's in zero uh, G. Yeah. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. So for three to 12 minutes, you can find yourself in zero G hyperspace where you can think anything you want about anything you can think of with a 300 IQ. For, and, and the only game, the name of the game is you can't fumble the football in the end zone. Mm. So, so. This, this is, that's, that's one step. So we have delta wave, neuroelectric, and basically what we're doing here is we're telling the cheat codes to a do-it-yourself 
death rebirth initiation peak state that discharges trauma and allows you to establish somatic experiential faith that it all works out. <laughs> so, so just didn't, didn't want to bury the lead or let anyone think yes. that we're gathering wool. So we have pay attention to the things that allow you to do brainstem research, resets, and that can be transcranial magnetic stimulation, that can be electrical stimulation through the tongue. There's an oh. FDA phase three clinical trials wow. on POMS device that I've actually tried. I tried it downhill mountain biking in Whistler and rode it down the track. So put it in, crank the juice, and, and it's because all the headsets, like the biohacking yeah, headsets, yeah, yeah. don't really work because your skull's really thick <laughs> and nine volt batteries aren't very strong. So you gotta get into the tongue so yeah. it's connected. So the tongue goes into, to, I think it's 10, I think it's 10 cranial nerves and wow. it goes straight into the brainstem. So there's the pons, the medulla oblongata, and, um, and then the, the other, and then and the vagal nerve is also mm, there. Wow. So, so you, st- you wore this yeah. thing that was yeah, a yeah. shock to your tongue. Yes. And is it shocking it's, like every it's sending, second? Ton and, it's away sending. and funnily enough, I mean, well, this is this is a fascinating tale. And it, I mean, if people can hold the branches in this conversation, we'll, yes. take, the, we'll take this quick one. <laughs> so the reason this device came to be is Paul Bakarita at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He's the father of sensory substitution. So if you know David Eagleman's work at Stanford, mm. right, and, and the sensory vest and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, David is very much coming out of Paul Bakarita's lineage. Okay. But the SEALs, were looking, they were doing night dives, combat night dives, no visibility. And the A, it sucks because you can't see what you're doing. Mm. And B, spatially disorienting. Right. You're literally, it's like, like just being in a void. To touch everything, yeah. yeah. So imagine those oh five day darkness meditation oh retreats in a sensory deprivation tank, right? It's a crazy <laughs> town. And eight hours at a time, right? So they would sneak in and then post up and then wait, you know, all this kind crazy. of stuff. So they're like, okay, can we do the same techniques that folks are using, that blind folks are using, like tapping with a cane and learning to see to, through the field? Yeah. Can we do it with electrical stimulation with this paddle on our tongue? So if it buzzes on the left, I swim left. If it buzzes on the right, if it's on my tip, on the tip of my tongue, I swim down. If it's on the back of my tongue, I swim up. So can we basically joystick our frogmen? Someone else yeah, joysticking in a you, boat, watching you, and then yeah, because, guiding you. And, and, wow. And, and again, what I'm... Uh, Cut, uh, our buddy um, from Debbie was just saying, he's like, yeah, you get under a big ship and it goes haywire. So like you, they swim on these paddles, they've got their compasses, the, the metal starts spinning. You can't have lights. It, it's, you have no idea where you're going. There's prop wash, there's oh noise. It's a shit show. So they, they took these paddles and started learning to steer their, their swimmers. And, and then they realized something, which is that when they came out from super long, like six hour, eight hour submersions in zero visibility situations, a lot of folks had basically like spatial vertigo or the bends, right? But the guys who'd been running the paddles didn't. Mm. And, and so they're like, hmm, that's funny, why is that? And the electrical stimulation into the brainstem was actually serving as a global system reboot and a calibration. So it was enhancing neuroplasticity and improving vestibular training and action which is back to the downhill mountain biking. Sure. Right? So you can actually create peak performance situations by conducting neuromotor pattern repetition, right? Um, while experiencing brainstem research, resets. And then, they found, and then they've now taken this to phase three clinical trials. Wow. And it's used for cerebral palsy, it's used for TBI, it's used for MS, and it's also being used for peak performance. So that's just another example of, okay, so now we're hot on the trail. We're like delta waves rock and, and seem to be the signature of heightened access to the information layer. Enhanced pattern recognition, cogitation, inspiration, information, right? So we're pinning that. Brainstem reset, and then, oh, by the way, the vagal nerve starts here. It goes all the way through our bodies, modulates our heart, our lungs, our digestion, our immune response, and goes all the way through our root, right? So even like Anish Seth, who's a Princeton gastroenterologist, called it pooforia. Like if you've ever had an especially large bowel movement and somehow felt sweaty or palpations Mm -hmm. or goosebumps or even really, really good, 
right? right. He, he said, he says, to some it feels like an orgasm, to some like a religious experience, and to a lucky few like both. <laughs> well, really, all that is is moving the male, and that's putting pressure against your vagal nerve, which is actually stimulating your entire oh, spinal column. Wow. So you're like, oh, okay, so we're just worms. With, <laughs> like, chop off our legs and arms, right? And the circuitry of how we work is our spinal columns on our vagal nerves. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, so now we realize delta waves, brainstem reset, vagal nerve optimization, increased nitric oxide in your system, and that can be everything from eating beets and, and, and um, what are those little seeds? Yes, beets, greens, or even supplements like Neo40 that are concentrates, mm-hmm. or even ED drugs, right? Viagra mm-hmm. boosts nitric Interesting. oxide. Right, and not only does it, and that, and that, it's a vasodilator, which is why Viagra used it. But mm-hmm. actually, what nitric oxide does is it crosses the blood-brain barrier, and it allows for the transport of st- stress chemicals and optimal, mm. psychologically enhancing neurochemicals. So Herbert Benson at Harvard calls it called it the bliss molecule, mm-hmm. and it's actually the precursor to flow states and peak states. So you're like, okay, so A, vasodilation is generally healthy and happy. And by the way, it's actually an anti-COVID, it's an antiviral. That's what I heard from, the, uh, from uh, James Nestor. Yeah. He's talking about this and breathe, breathing yeah. through the nose and uh, yes. how the virus can't survive in this, right? Yeah, so, so high notch, basically the more, I mean, I wouldn't say the more the merrier, period, but in general, mm-hmm. we are under and boosting can enhance. Right. So, so you do these things and then you also realize, oh, at, and, then, and then engage in spinal and pelvic mobility, right? And the issues are in our tissues. So if you engage in it, and this gets to your EMDR point, mm-hmm. right? There's kind of a progression where you can be like, okay, there's, there's neuro, neuro tremor release. Have you seen that stuff? Mm-hmm. Where people do like an isometric hold, like a wall sit yeah. or a leg lift, and they wait until their muscles fatigue, mm-hmm. and then they start moving, and then they start oscillating. And there's actually like three different levels of frequency. And first it's disorganized. I think they call it brown. Uh, wave waveforms. I don't quite okay. understand their color coding, but I think that's how they do it. And that's just spazzing. And most people, <laughs> most people are so uncomfortable and so self-conscious they won't let it happen, mm-hmm. right? But if you are with a therapist and you understand the, the jam, you start doing that, and then it actually settles down and it starts getting organized. And it's literally as if it's your um, your nervous system defragging yeah. and rewiring up healthy mm-hmm. movement patterns. Mm-hmm. Right? It's this the whole Robert Sapolsky at Stanford, which he had that book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Right? Like, animals don't stress. Right. Right? Because they discharge. And, and we were actually, we had just been, we'd just done a, a, an expedition on, uh, on the north face of Everest in Tibet. We came back to Thailand. We went to the islands. We like put all of our students on a plane in Bangkok and then took a honeymoon on the islands in Thailand. This is long before the, this was like before the beach came out, I think. So it was like super chill. And we were climbing this wild volcano grotto in the jungle um, at like sunset and it was super sketchy like we see this German couple come down all covered in mud wild-eyed like what the hell we're like we're gonna go do this and and then we get to this super crazy slick limestone slab and there's this there's this monkey stuck right and and he's and he's freaking out and he's and it's too slippery and he doesn't know what he's gonna do and he's like and we're like, oh my God, we can't help him. He's too far out there, but like, what's going to happen? And then finally he kind of like gets together and he just lunges and does this dino and like does this one handed thing, grabs the top, pulls himself up, looks around, frantically beats off and then, and then just f***s off into the jungle never to be heard from again. And you're like, genius. Wow. Right? So that no- now that's a funny story. Was that, so that he was stressed for a second, yes. but then releases it. Yes. Through, right? Wow. 
cultivating and then discharging energy through his wow, nervous system. Interesting. And you're like, okay, so this is how all animals forever have done it. We're walking around stressed, holding on to it, totally anchored in the past. Whether that's I got a blown shoulder or a bum knee or a bad back, and I sit in the same chair the same mm. way all day, and it's accumulating trauma, or it's just micro PTSD, and I'm just this fibrillating, mm -hmm. disorganized mess. And then you realize, oh, back to brainstems, delta waves. Can I reboot my nervous system? establish a global systemic reset mm. and can I do that by pulsing energy loading and pulsing energy through my nervous system such that it discharges me and lets me just like a laptop that's fritzing cold reboot power back up and be fresh again homeostasis yeah. now life is life and I'm going to still face every challenge right, and opportunity right. to get knocked off that but if I can come back to center via means and tools that I have access to that don't cost an arm and a leg, right. can I come from my best more often? One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too. in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And can I metabolize my grief as fast as I'm taking it in? Mm. So not holding on to it for months and years and yeah. suffering. Yeah. Experiencing it, having your heart open, 
allowing yourself to feel, and then moving on. Yeah, and then so now throw in vocalists. So so now let's do that. You know, tremor release. So mm-hmm. let's say I'm lying on my back with a high bridge. I've got my ass off the ground, and my thighs are vibrating. Right, and they start flopping around, and I start doing this stuff, and potentially I start doing what James Nestor talked about. That was the Karolinska Institute study, right? Which was vibrating and humming through my nasal mm-hmm. cavity. So now, hmm, mm-hmm. so now I'm making sounds and I'm generating increased nitric oxide. Now you talked about EMDR and tapping. All of these things, funnily enough, it's not that this is a new age grab bag. It's not, you have a bunch of intuitives that stumble onto a, a function that works. They may or may not know why it works. And then they package it, productize it, put a name on it, put a brand on it, have, it, have, have an economic driver and sense around, around it. a cult around it the bed but mm. you're like oh what's the mechanism of action underneath all this stuff if we can get to that then we can engage in culture architecture cleanly and we can what? just share people with the source codes here's the lego what is the source code well the, the, these are the source codes right which is which is dis- cultivating and discharging energy through your nervous system in both allowing chaotic discharge and then um, enhancing reorganization so throw in emdr like eyes tongues movement like and just go through the motions what is a imagine if some space anthropologist came down and was like okay humans here's the user manual you guys are just (laughs) you guys are just almightily here's how and 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 giving us the capacity to to do this skillfully right throw in EMDR is what? That's the eye movement one. Mm-hmm. Then there's EFT, I guess, is emotional something, something. Or maybe there's a... Is that tapping, essentially? Yeah, that, yeah emotional yeah. freedom yep. technique. So once they get, yeah. once these get brands and acronyms, they're stuffed, right? Because they cease to innovate and they cease mm. to be curious about mm. evidence. But if you're like, hey, there might be a there there. Right, right. And then there's Wim Hof method and then there's breathing and, and there's cold therapy. Yeah, and and, and how do we separate placebo, mm-hmm. right? And, and selection bias from is there a legit there there? Mm-hmm. And once you put those things together, now you can add in like Theraguns. Yep. Right? You're like, oh, so now let's take isometric tremor and now let's increase percussive vibration. Let's do soft tissues. I mean, how many people actually touch their abdomen, for God's sake? I mean, how much shame, how much. Hold on, there's so much shame and trauma. Yeah. And like even just having partners, right? And then engage in like acro yoga and Thai massage, like actually connecting with another human and and applying traction on our joints and opening up the space Mm. in our joint capsules and stretching soft tissues and sliding surfaces and full range of motion in our pelvis and spine. Mm. Like these things aren't simply uh, disconnected physical movement sequences. They actually show up in our consciousness register they actually shape and inform our experience and so like the the absolute money there is um and all of this is 50 percent of it because then you can also add in conscious sexuality on top Mm -hmm. of that right and then you end up in basically a sexual yoga so the end-to-end spectrum if you take it without apology (laughs) is to say um uh psychedelic sex time traveling psychedelic sex magic or a hedonic engineering Right, because the 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 next movement is special calisthenics, mm. basically, like which where you basically um, have a physician that is three C's. So you, you know Dan Savage, right? The mm-hmm. sex advice. Yeah, yeah. So he always talks about good giving and game, the three G's, uh-huh. right? For for a partner. Sure. Right? So the three C's for your doctor is is courageous, curious, and connected. Mm. So they need to be um, willing to engage in full spectrum health for patients. They need to be connected to the research in the psychedelic therapeutic space and compounding pharmacies. And they need to be curious about what modalities are potentially functional because hands down, 
the next wave of psychedelic therapies is going to be special K calisthenics, which is threshold dose ketamine with body work. Mm. And you can get in a month of yoga or physical therapy in an hour. And it's completely integrated wow. psychosomatic. Mm. So you're like, when, when, I, what I, when I mean by saying it's psychosomatic, normally people just, when they say that word, they mean, oh, it's all in your head, you made it up. And, and that's, that's one, that's a pejorative of the term, but psychosomatic just means body and brain together. So when you shift and move your tissues, right, you end up um, having a, it's almost as if it's like the monitor of your self system is in your mind and you're like, oh, okay, that was that phone call on Tuesday or mm. that was that ski wreck or that was, and, and it discloses itself as, mm. it relieves, as it leaves it's your system. It's kind of like the body keeps the score mentality. Yeah. Or? Issues are in the tissues, body keeps the score, et cetera. And if you look at Bessel van der Kolk's work, I mean, bless his heart, right? But most of the suggestions he's recommending for the physicality is really straightforward. Yeah. It's like, do yoga. That's good. Right. Like, do you know, like, <laughs> move your body. Else. So you're like, Stretch. okay, so great. Exactly. Eat healthy food. <laughs> so, so, so put in special calisthenics, right? With a K, uh-huh. right? Put in theragun use. And then, and then for those of you playing along at home with a special friend. So there's basically like three levels. There's solo practices, partner practices, and couple practices. Right, that's it. And you, mm-hmm. any of these work, you can just do breath work, you can just do body work, you could just do music and dance, you could just do substances, mm-hmm. right, in, in, in you know, responsible sacramental or therapeutic use. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you could just do sexuality. If you combine them all, right, you end up with this a- This cocktail of- Well, I mean, you, you end up with the notion of like stacking. Mm-hmm. So rather than using one atom bomb, you actually have a bunch of different modalities that gives you trim tabs and steer. Mm-hmm. So you're less likely to get into super duper trouble. It's much easier to back off and it's also much, and it's, and it's a little bit more self-directed. So if you said, hey, I'm gonna lock you in a 10 day Vipassana retreat, good luck. <laughs> you know, it could be awesome for you. Right. Many people report profound experiences, but it could also be super intense and hairball or really uncomfortable or scary, you would want more support. Someone could say, well, you're gonna go to Peru and go on an ayahuasca journey. And you're like 12 hours later, like hair on fire, like what on earth just happened? My my world and reality just unraveled. But if you combine things, Mm. you can, well, there's actually, and and for both of those, I'll even throw in one more. You could maybe, you know, we lived up in the mountains in Colorado, ran like mountain bike, the Leadville 100, those kind of ultra marathon races. And they're actually profound. Like the amount of community and support and people sure. get cracked open after running for, you know, 14 hours straight through the night and all these kind of things. Um, so you're like, okay, maybe I go for the runner's high to end all runner's high. But you're like, that was a hundred mile race. I'm, I'm, my body is healing for three months, <laughs> right? The same thing with long psychedelic experiences, mm-hmm. which is about why, by the way, psilocybin is in all the studies, not LSD. It's not because psilocybin is better. It's because it lasts six to eight hours. Mm. And LSD will last eight to 12 hours and a hospital shift is eight hours. So they picked a substance that fits within wow. professional work, which makes sense. I mean, God yeah. bless them. You don't have to be like trip sitting somebody for like you know, a day and a half. But the idea of, of long arc experiences is that there's typically only, there's a fixed period of time at the peak that's really useful. Right, that's like day six and seven of a Vipassana retreat. That's miles seventy to ninety on an ultra mm. run. That's hours six, five and six on an LSD trip. It's not the be. beginning half. It's not no. the very last. So you part. get these it's shoulders, like, right? Yeah. And the shoulders is body load, confusion, fatigue, mm-hmm. random other shit punching into your experience at the, at that time. So you're like, okay, and not to mention just practical. 
very few people just have days to write, write off their calendar. Right. So, um, but everything from cost to um, access to calendar to intensity to propensity for vulnerability or exposure in those transitional spaces, you're like, okay, now let's do the other thing. Let's go instead of for wavelength, like this big long event, go for amplitude. Stack stuff, get mm. up as high as possible into the information that's useful, right? And come back down in a way that it, you can integrate. So like get yeah. what's yours, remember it, don't be exhausted, don't be wrung out, don't need a week to come back to normal. Recover, yeah. Right, recover. And, and you can see the opposite side is also true. If you take an experience like DMT or 5-MeO-DMT, right, some of these you know, notorious and super trendy, high, high octane psychedelics that are like 15-minute rocket rides, mm -hmm. right? Too much, too fast, too soon. And people, you know, they, they, ra they rave about them, but for their therapeutic insights, they, they are, I think, remarkably lacking. Because once you are simply white light God consciousness or you're, you're, or you're unleashed into the galactic Pure carnival, love, yeah, you're yeah. like, now what do I do with that? Yeah. Right? That doesn't necessarily help or get, it's so deep, it's so impersonal and so depersonalizing that it disconnects me mm. from showing up with more heart, more connectedness, compassion, toward more engagement. Yeah. What, are you, what are your thoughts on all these uh, medicines and psychedelics and, you know, drugs to help us heal or therapy drugs, I guess, mm -hmm. that people are doing now? What's, do you think it's beneficial to do or do you feel like it's a never-ending ne necessity to feel peace, to feel whole, centered, grounded? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting question, and there's, there's several different ways to kind of come yeah. at it. Because I've at never personally thing. done any of it. Mm -hmm. I've never been high or drunk in my life. Mm. And I just don't have a desire to. Mm -hmm. Like, I have lots of friends that do it and swear by it. It's amazing, you know, the experiences, the things you learn, the things you see, the things you heal. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's cool. I just don't have, like, a calling mm -hmm. to want to try to put my brain in that space. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's other meditative practices that I've, that, that I've mm -hmm. done that... That I also feel a lot of peace and out-of-body experiences and you know, I'm floating in space type of mentality. So for me, I, I, I haven't, ex you know, who knows what's actually happening when you're on these drugs, but I know that I can do other things as well without it. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, and, and, and I think that the thing that, I mean, my position is usually not, like not having a specific dog in most of those fights. It's, it's kind of what's... A level up from that. Mm. What's the mechanisms of action, and what do they do that's helpful? Right. And once we understand that, then just do that. Well, well, then we can come at it through whatever method or mode is Got appropriate it. for us. Got so, it. so arguably, one of the biggest benefits of state shifting techniques or practices, broadly, whichever ones you wanted to choose, is that they let us shift our state, mm -hmm. and that having a range of our neurophysiology, right, and our psychology is generally healthy. So rather than being stuck on one channel, what's called like monophasic, mm -hmm. like every day I wake up, it's the same me in the same head, doing the same yeah. things, thinking the same thoughts, telling Trying the same stories, things. right? Being able to change the channel. And indigenous societies always did that. They had dreams, premonitions, possessions, trance, whole range of consciousness they considered valid. Mm. Not just, oh, that's just repressions from your sexual frustrations and your unconscious, forget it, that's dribble. You know, or you need to be medicated. Or, you know, like th th there was a full range that was accepted and embraced as legit means of making sense of things. Mm -hmm. We went to Descartes, Cogito, Ergo Sum, 
you know, empiricism 101, if it's not measurable, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't exist. And we got our dial stuck, mm. right? And so we're really one of the only societies ever that's been a monophasic or single channel culture. And that creates lots of stress, dis-ease, all those things. When we expand that range, we gain back health and resilience. Mm -hmm. We discharge, we gain more information, more perspectives. And so, and I think you can make a case that part of the rise in everything from Spartan training and CrossFit to Wim Hof mm -hmm. and contrast therapy, ice bathing, saunas, right? All, breath work, all of these things were like, holy you know, intermittent fasting, mm -hmm. all of it is in some way a high-tech, sometimes consumerized attempt to be like, hey, what is it like to be a hunter-gatherer who slept right. cold, who ran long, who went hungry, who feasted big, you know, who did all who of suffered. these things, who yeah. suffered, who didn't have climate control, didn't have a pantry filled with mm -hmm. overstuffed calories at the whim with salty, sweet, and fat programmed in to make me keep coming back, <laughs> like all that stuff. We're trying to break out of that uh -huh. and recreate the conditions that we know create vitality and let us thrive uh -huh. and are just richer and more novel and more alive for us. So, so in that respect, um, I, I think that the ability to shift state is really valuable and, and the use of some form of psychoactive plants or compounds is not just perennial through human history. And our, and our buddy Brian Mararescu just recently came out with that book, The Immortality Key, where mm -hmm. he's made a case of through ancient Greece into early Christianity that there was potentially some continuity there. That's one very specific and scholarly kind of take at a, at a time period in a specific geography. Fascinating. Um, but, you know, Ron Siegel at UCLA has talked about the desire to shift consciousness is not even specific to humans and across time, you know, across time and culture, but also specific to, you know, like across the animal kingdom not just primates, all mammals, birds. The idea of creating lateralization, increased pattern recognition and the seeking mm. out of novel information has apparently outweighed being lit and falling out of your tree, yeah. <laughs> right? There's been an evolutionary adaptive advantage to changing the channel yes. from time to time. Yes. So where we are right now mm. is utterly unprecedented. We've been stuck in this monophasic culture. Everybody's yearning to change the channel. People are piling into psychedelics and anything they can get their mitts on. And this is the first, so they have open access to all psychotechnologies from around the world today to your door, <laughs> right? And at the same time, ripped out of cultural context. So, so the idea is, you know, basically, Led uh, by someone who probably doesn't know what they're doing. Hucksters and charlatans, yeah. and some really well-meaning folks too. Sure. But those are, they're getting increasingly swamped by the, mm. by the sociopaths and the connies who are coming into the space because right. there's so much there. there. Mm -hmm. And so, so the idea is this, it's like breaking the sticks off bottle rockets and still hoping they'll go where you point them. <laughs> you know? and, and really, they're just going to blow up all over the place, which we are seeing because you know, there, there's actually a fascinating, there's a group, the, the, the Mountain Auk people of Papua New Guinea. And I, and I remember reading this anthropology study. It was from a guy, an Oxford anthropologist named Richard Rudgley. And it was basically, they had, let's think, how many stages were there? 12. There were 12 stages of plant initiation in their society. And the first three mm. were for ginger. And then the middle six, is that right? Yeah, the middle six were for tobacco different forms of tobaccos. Mm -hmm. And then the final three were for different strains of psychedelic mushrooms. But, but not like the ones that folks are used to today, like, like gnarly the ones, first toxic yeah, yeah. ones, like ones that kill you if you don't do them properly. And and it was kind of like a Montessori classroom. In this, like in a Montessori classroom, a young kid is allowed to come in and they're allowed to work with 
any material in this beautifully arranged classroom, provided they've already been shown by the guide how to do it properly. And then, mm. you know, so you freedom within limits, mm -hmm. and you're not allowed to do something you haven't been introduced to or something that's not you're not yet ready for. And the same thing for the mountain auk people. So once you were initiated into a level, then you had open access for your own discretionary use because you'd been shown how to do it properly. But you weren't allowed, right, to, to skip levels, right, or poach. Right, right. And it was kind of a selected pyramid. It was fewer and fewer people got invited into right. the subsequent stages. It's kind of like stages. getting your black belt. Yeah. It's like you've got to go through all exactly. these different stages first. Yeah. And, and, and the fascinating thing was is that the final two stages, that was only for el initiation to elders, right? Mm. And once they had their visions, then what they saw was then included into the living scripture. So rather than being like, here's the Bible, signed, sealed, delivers, every word is un you know, um, unquestionably and viably mm. true, period, end of story, anything you have to say is heresy and we're gonna burn you at the stake if you try, they're like, oh no, no, add that. There's mm. another page, mm. add that, mm. there's another page. So you're like, oh, that's neat. That's like this open source living tradition, freedom within limits and structure. So if we take psychedelics today, or you know, let's just say psychedelic renaissance, psychedelic therapy, since that's where yeah. most of the media conversation is, um, you can do a bell curve and you can be like, hey, 10% of the population should probably never try them. And that's people with, Di you know, family histories of mental mm -hmm. illness, existing diagnoses, um, and if you could screen for this up front, dark triad personalities, psychopaths, narcissists, Machiavellians, um, and, and, and because you don't want them to be better at who they are. <laughs> right, they don't want these powers, yeah. No, you really don't. Um, you know, you, you, you don't wanna be training Sith Lords by accident, mm. right? Um, and the idea that psychedelics only and always create love and kindness and expansion is actually simply not the case. Mm. And in fact, golly, I, I'm gonna forget his name now. Um, Sidney Gottlieb, mm. I think it is, who was the uh, founder of MKUltra, the super gnarly, uh, you know, government dark, dark ops project, right, that shows up in Stranger Things and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. He dropped acid 200 times and was yeah. an utterly amoral son of a and actually dosed Whitey Bulger, the, the mafia boss who was up in Boston in prison. Like he was, he was one of his subjects. Wow. Whitey was still Whitey, right? So, so to say nothing of Aztec sacrifices and, you know, and Yanomamo drinking ayahuasca and still spearing each other, you know, like humans are humans. Sure. And we're complex and, and adding more just makes us more. It doesn't always make us groovier. So 10% should probably never try it. 80% of the middle, middle of the bell curve should probably only have like three cultured initiatory experiences through their life. Mm. And then only 10% should be sort of test pilots or psychonauts right. going back to the wishing well more than that. And if you think about, so let's talk about the 80, like what would a, what would a roadmap possibly look like if we said, oh, we've ripped this out of culture and context. That's probably not a great thing. What are examples around the world, like the Mountainock people, like uh, uh, hundreds of traditions around the world of responsible intergenerational use. How can we learn? What, mm. This is the culture architecture part. Like, how can we build things that are missing, right? That might serve us and others going down the, right. down the road. So you're like, okay, well for sure, adolescence, marriage, and death. Those are major, major rites of passage and we tend to f them up all night. Mm. Right, right, right? So you're like, okay, so, and let's, let's draw and learn from the evidence-based, ethically committed practices that are happening at Imperial Hopkins and elsewhere. So you're like, okay, so Hopkins has kind of found that Goldilocks dosage of psilocybin is three grams. That's mm. enough to create a, an experience of the numinous, of inevitability, of awe, of connection, of all these healthy things. Um, and it tends not to be so much that it wigs folks out. 
Mm. Right, it's a couple of clicks back from Terence McKenna's like five gram silent darkness. And right? it's not addictive either, right? No, no, not at yeah. all. So the idea is like, what if you had a truly grounded initiatory rite of passage for a sixteen-year-old, for right. an eighteen-year-old, for something in that space, and and mm. awakening who I am on this earth in community. Mm. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off, off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off and then what and then now welcome and now start showing up that way interesting right and, and you know of course some folks may say that's so widely irresponsible drugging kids but you're like well no we are already drugging kids we're putting them on amphetamines we're putting them on antipsychotics we're doing all sorts of things to them already turning a blind eye and initiatory practices like this are as old as humanity so let's decouple right. and take an anthropological look at this and say what's missing. Um, and, and then what happens to anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, I don't fit, what's the point, what's the purpose? Could, could we address that openly? Mm. Take marriage, right? I mean, these days it's, it's status displays and virtue signaling, and, but it's not an initiation into like hieros gamos, like sacred union. Right. Right? It, it, it's caterers and Instagram shots and photographers and, and, and gift registries at Williams and Sonoma. Mm. It's like, you know, and, and people and, and the couple on the other end, they've been sleeping together and cohabitating for the most part before. So it's not even met, it's not even wedding night, met, you know, right, right. magic. Like all of it's gone. Right. And you're like, okay, what if with the wedding party, with the selected minister or officiant, with closest friends, whatever it would be that was appropriate, to do the MAPS therapeutic dosage of MDMA. So, and again, not for the substance, right? This, this is the, the fact that vasopressin, oxytocin, uh, prolactin come online and, 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 and some serotonin as well, right? I feel safe, I feel secure, mm. I feel connected to my heart and I am able to give voice to deeper truths and deeper wounds and fears than I might normally be able to. And what if we shared our vows from that space and anchored it? And then if once, if mm. once a year or once a decade, you know, cadence, take your pick. But if once on our anniversary, we came back, we, we, rent, we, we go to a cabin, we go camping, we do whatever we do, and we reconnect. And I mean, there's thousands of couples already doing this improvisationally, but like, and we reconnected and we revisited those vows. 
and we were able to express our frustrations, our sadness, mm. our tiredness, our bitterness, our resentments, our pain, and our love and our hope and our dreams. And we could do that in a way, because I mean, I've had, I guess I'm just in the season of life for this, but I mean, I have had half a dozen dear friends in the last three to four years, all blow up relationships and with children. So there's skin in the game. And it's almost consistently been because one partner has trauma, unable or unwilling to process it. And and, and in these instances, this was not, these these were faultless tragedies. Like this, this was, this wasn't someone no had an cheated inf- or, yeah, 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 yeah. There was no cheating. There was no infidelity. There was no addiction. There was no. Fi- in fact, there was the ab- opposite of financial stresses, and and they blew apart anyway. And it was just the accretion of grief, grief, resentment, and frustration, and the mm. inability to go back and heal the trauma of the past. Yes, and get it. So you're like, so, so when you throw kids in the mix, yeah, you know, you're like, oh, we've got some skin in this game. And in fact, uh, Brian Efavescu, I think that's his name. Um, no, Brian Earp, I think, and Julian Evanescu, uh, they wrote a book called Love Drugs. One's an ethicist at Oxford and one's an ethicist at Yale. And they've basically just said, hey, look, folks, um, you know, family counseling, couples therapy, we, ish, <laughs> you know, I've never seen it work personally, but I mean, all, all power if you, you can find a, a good person that can help you. Um, but hey, at this point, the era of supplementing relational therapeutic support with pharmacology um, has arrived and it's now unconscionable not to. Mm. And it's because the question is again, like the idea of, you know, crypto puritanism, whether it's what are you doing giving, you know, substances to adolescents, that's, that's unethical. In fact, back in the fifties at UCLA, they were dosing three to 12 year olds with LSD. No, no, like in, in the schizophrenia wards. And this wasn't wild. Mm. This was a Sandoz pharmaceutical yeah. substance. It had promising results and their results were off the charts. They were having profound responses. Rick Doblin, and Rick Doblin really shifted my thinking on this. He's like, look, mm. we know what we know now about the efficacy of healing trauma, right? If you've got an 18 year old who's had adverse childhood events and is suffering from PTSD, and you know what three sessions with a therapist, with this compound could do for them, and you're gonna say no and say, go ahead and suffer. You may kill yourself. You may do wow. any sorts of things for the next three years until you click over. At what point is standard of care an obligation to treat, mm. right? Interesting. Does, does it kick us into engaging these things? So the notion of like, oh, chemsex is cheating. That's debauched, right? That's the stuff I read about in Vice Magazine, you know, right? right? Like that, like that, that's not romantic, how could I? And, and that's what there's, the, the case they're making in love drugs is like, look, we're already doing chemsex. We're just doing it really badly. Right. Like everybody gets plied with alcohol, right? right. Alcohol is a massive dehydration. De- it, it dehydrates and desensitizes. It dulls a woman's orgasm. Mm. And like Dr. Ruth, right? The old, the OG mm. sex mm. therapist said, it, and it hangs right, right off the end of a man's penis, mm. right? So alcohol sucks and is the ubiquitous substance of choice. Hormonal birth control completely wrecks sexual response and attractiveness. So like the, the classic dirty trick of being on the pill is that when that that, ha- that shifts a woman's hormonal profile mm. primes her to be seeking basically um a new age wimp you mm. a weak chinned safe provider for my children non-aggressive sexual yes, yes, yes. Low, yeah. low testosterone yeah. like like safe guy right then they, they, you know, they, they court, they do all the things, they, they, buy, they lease a Volvo together, and then they get married. And she's like, okay, I'm gonna get off the pill. It's time for us to start a family. She gets off the pill, she's like, who's this milk toast wannabe? I'm gonna go shag a I need biker. someone who's like, 
Yeah, wants right. me. Yeah, yeah. And, and that happens. And, and actually, women on the pill have higher marital dissatisfaction, higher propensity for d- divorce, all these kind of things. And also deadens libido and sexual response. And then throw in SSRIs, which completely clip eroticism. And you know, like you're depressed. SS what? SSRIs, so selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors like Prozac and Zola. Gotcha. So you're like, okay, so why did I get on that stuff in the first place? Because I'm just not feeling connected <laughs> to life. I'm not feeling, right? I'm feeling down. I'm literally depressed. Yes. So now the very first thing we're going to do for you is completely take your sexual vitality, oh, your enti- our entire biological reason for being, and we're just going to put that f- in the basement for as long as you're on this stuff. And, and people are attempting to live lives through that lie of the ball. And you're like, how do, how do any of us maintain passion, connection, right, engagement with the deck that stacked? Courage, everything. Yeah. So which goes back to what we were talking about before we started, which is step one, heal the past. <laughs> it's like yes. step one, and then how, what's the way to heal? Yeah. What's the, what's the modality that you'd use to heal your past or your shame or your trauma? What is yeah. something so, you do? So, so we, we started building this kind of edifice, right? Yeah. Which was this notion of what is a global systemic reboot? Yes. And what are the pieces that can work? And, and we sort of said, here's the neurophysiology. Brain stems, mm-hmm. delta waves, nitric oxide, high vagal nerve tone, right? You, you can just do all these things, yeah. and they're all quite straightforward. If you want, you can even, you know, and then pulse energy through the system. We talked about simple percussive energy with a yeah. theragun. Yeah. You could use, um, what's, the, what's the word? Acoustic therapy, like sound mm. waves. You can use sound light. Sound baths, yeah. everything, yeah. You can use light waves, you can use pain, you can use magnetism, you can use 12 volt electricity, you can use AC electricity, you can use orgasm, right? All of those things cultivate energy and release through the nervous system. Mm. And as they do, they kind of, and this is a metaphor, but they sort of release or dislodge plaque Interesting. in our system. And you know, you could probably make a technical argument and TBD on which one of these would prove out, but quite possibly, I mean, you're sending out neurological signals, which would have the tendency to, you know, cells that fire together, wire together, boosting neuroplasticity, Mm -hmm. myelination, so the sheaths and the communication structures kind of get woven in. I don't know if you've ever done any super fine grain, like PT, like rehab kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So have you ever had a a physical therapist like make you do something crazy, like look in a certain direction and like scratch your thing? All that stuff, yeah. Right? And you're like, ah, like move this. And you're like, I don't even know how to get that muscle to fire, right? And 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 then if they tap you or they or they pinch you or they do you're like, oh, that's a signal. Uh Went to my brain. Now I can maybe send one back and you can kind of get yourself working again. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's all we're trying to do. And so all these things work. They all work and, and they work on a sliding scale. So mm. let's just call this whole category hedonic engineering, right? So this is the idea of how do we learn to use neurosomatic information to optimize ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And on the low end, you could say it's like a squeegee in your shower, right? Can I just discharge the stress mm. that I accumulated in the last 24 hours? So I'm back to zero. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, you know, and in fact, Nicole Prousey, I don't know, have you ever had her mm-hmm. on? She's a, she's a former UCLA Kinsey Institute PhD sexuality researcher. And she's actually been researching mm. orgasm as prescription pharmaceutical. And she says, even, you know, normally you would think of people who would be against that research as sort of, you know, crypto Puritans, right? Like the folks who are like, no, 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 that's naughty and bad. But it's mm-hmm. actually also even in, she's found it with her colleagues. Where she like, if someone comes home and masturbates to get to sleep, 
or after a hard day of work, this goes back to our monkey in Thailand, right? Um, that that's considered a, a dysfunctional coping mechanism. Mm. And she's like, no, it's not. It's act- and she's been researching to, to be able to actually, you know, for pain relief, for emotional relief, all these things, the neurochemical cascade of orgasm as it happens. Uh, again, Rick, Rick Doblin at MAPS, he and I were on a panel at the Battery Club up in San Francisco with, with Jason Silva. Uh-huh. And um, we were just talking in between, you know, in between sets and, and he's like, yeah, you know, the closest we can tell, the prolactin, vasopressin, serotonin, oxytocin, and the openness, safety, security, belonging of the MDMA state that we're having all these off the hook responses. The right. closest thing we can tell is it's that it is to a post-orgasmic state. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hmm. And it kind of blew my mind because I was, I was like, wait, so, you're like, this has been 30 years. This has been $40 million. This has been navigating the, the, the FDA and Byzantine clinical trials. And it's amazing and critical work. You're like, how else might we get, get, get you know, people suffering to that exalted state known only to scientists as post-orgasmic? <laughs> you're like, holy shit. And the, and the reasoning is it's not it's not sensational at all. Mm. It's that our erotic and ecstatic circuitry are foundational and bedrock to encoding primates mm. to procreate. Mm-hmm. So our entire pleasure system is built on the substrate of our erotic arousal circuitry. Because if you think about it, for like millions of years, little monkeys figured out how to get busy with no instruction manual. Right. So it is the, like outside of eating and breathing, and those are two other ones, right? I mean, like take take eating out because we're not going to get into that, but breathing, that's why respiration is such a potent psychoactive tool because we are hardwired to do it and shifting the ratios of oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon dioxide in our system radically changes our consciousness. A, we can upregulate it, we can downregulate it, we can transcend it. Sexuality is right there Mm. next, which is like, oh, now, now what's so, you know, tragic then beautiful then really intriguing is that because it's such a strong biological encoder, it is responsible, I would guess, I mean, this is purely a you know, guess guess, but there's plenty of research to support the chunks of it, which is, I would think like 75% of human suffering comes down to our sexual programming, mm. including war, conquest, rape, sexual you know, violence, you know, everything. Wow. And, and I mean, you know, people can contest that, but I would say at least half. And you think about it, you're like, oh my God, that's heartbreaking. But evolution is amoral, categorically amoral. Evolution doesn't give a f- about our vows, our promises, the better angel mm. of our nature, our relationships. All it wants to do is just shake up the snow globe and, and create the most diverse, genetically viable gene pool it can get its hands on. And it will trick us into heartache, heartbreak, mm. violence and crisis all day long to get it. And, and you're like, okay, oh. so... Yeah, I mean, even, and, and I, I want to I kind of make sure we're tracking the dog legs we're taking yeah, here because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's, there's, there's an important center, center theme to come back to. Um, but even something like adolescence, right, that the fact that a young girl and, and the numbers are sliding based on endocrine disruptors in our systems and various other things, but like, you know, let's say a young girl reaches menstruation at 14 and adult cognitive maturity at 24, that is a decade, that is a gauntlet, Whew. that every young girl... A lot girl, of confusion. Not only a lot of confusion, but, but like, you know, by 24, prefrontal cortex is fully online, situational awareness, risk assessment, delayed gratification, all sorts of important things to keep her safe and making good choices, right? That decade is asymmetrically the window. It's like, it's like, in, it's like in Blue Planet, right? In, off, that, off the coast of South Africa where there's all the penguins and they got to swim between the islands and that's where all the great whites are. Yeah. Right? Eesh. That decade is asymmetrically the time for sexual abuse and trauma. Mm. 
and you're, and you're like, oh, that's horrible. And it's not something we would wish for our wives, our mothers, our daughters, our friends, anyone. Mm-mm. And and it's not just that, right? I mean, I mean, more and more sexual abuse and stories for young boys mm-hmm. and young men is also coming out. So you're like, all of that is just the cold dictates of biological impulse. That is heartbreaking. But you're like, what if instead of being puppets on a string to an amoral evolution, you can take all that stuff and judo it over, have it jump the tracks, mm. and use all of that neurological priming to heal our trauma, to access inspiration and peak states, and to bond and connect to the people we love and care about and, and are choosing to shoulder the burdens of life with together. Right. You know? So let's do that. And that's, that's profoundly empowering. How do we do that? Well, I mean, what we just talked about with this notion of a sort of a sexual yoga of becoming. And, mm. and, and, and I don't want like, people latch onto that. It has, you know, it's curious, it's potentially sort of sensational. Um, there's almost always sort of three responses to this content. Because like once you take gloves off, and, and I'm a little bit, you know, I, I fully confess to being slightly on the spectrum in the sense of I'm always just like, well, what is the case? Uh-huh. And what does the evidence say? And if that's the case, then we should just say it. Right. Or just talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, but what I've noticed is that people come to this content sort of, you know, so respiration, embodiment, sexuality, substances, music, like you, you put all this together, you're like, these are, these have really strong biological drivers. So they're powerful, they're cheap, they're effective, they're mm-hmm. consistent, they work. So everybody can use them. So they're starting to fit that case we're talking about with how do we design meaning 3.0. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also powerful, volatile, riddled with cultural taboos. Mm. But then the thing is, is that if you're like, oh, back away, back away, that's taboo. It should be the opposite. It's like, well, why is it taboo? It's taboo because they work. Mm. There's not a civilization worth its salt that hasn't had to put a tight lid on access to these things. So, you know, so, I mean, respiration, I would say, you know, there's not that many broadly acculturated respiratory practices. There's Kriya Yoga. There's a handful of others. Singing hymns, things like that. Even the Hail Mary. It's Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you, right? That is a nine-second, nine hertz, shift you into alpha wave entrainment protocol. Mm. So you can you could make a case. Obviously, no priest would have said this, but you could make a case that why Om Mani Padme Hum, the Tibetan mantras. There've been some fascinating studies on meditation and correlation with EEG waves and respiratory cycles based on whatever thing you're saying repetitively. Oh, so you've got a mala bead. You're counting 108 rosaries or doing whatever you're doing. So you've offloaded prefrontal you're cortical. You're getting into a state. Yeah. You're getting into a state. And you're actually tr- putting yourself and you're saying kneeling in front of votives with smells and bells and a patron saint. And it's not surprising that you might have a religious an experience of awe, ineffability, mm-hmm. et cetera. So as we approach this content, um, people are going to have an acculturated triggered response. Mm-hmm. It's going to fall into one of three categories. You'll be a hedonist, a purist, or a conformist. Those are three, at least these days, typical responses. Sure. So the hedonist is like, I'm all in, man. Tell me more. All right, give me the cheat codes. Mm-hmm. And the challenge with the hedonist is, is that, you know, what Jung said, like, beware of unknown wisdom. Like, they're just up to their ears in it. And their challenge is, you know, addiction and infidelity because mm-hmm. they want to they go for everything and taste it all. And, and finding the breaks is their problem. They burn too hot, mm-hmm. right? The, conf- the purist, we'll do the purist next. The purist is actually the one who's like, my body's my temple. Right, um, I don't need those. That's cheating in a shortcut. So any more volatile or intensive techniques or practices, uh-huh. and they have, um, they actually have a, a spiritual materialism or a pride 
about their self-identity. So I meditate, I do yoga, I don't do those other things. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm pure, I, you know, that whole thing. And gas to actually accelerate their learning. They might have become self-satisfied, right? And they've actually stopped searching because they've actually created a fixed mindset mm -hmm. around and about, this about is the way and, all, the, yeah. all the ways they do their things. And then the conformist sort of wouldn't know what to think. They're like, well, what does everybody else think? And, and specifically, what do medical religious and legal authorities tell me to think, right? So, <laughs> so what is the way well, well, of well, those so, three? I'll check it out. So this, 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 it's it's kind of nice, right? So, so and, and for the conformist, right? I mean, they would they think nothing of having their kid on Ritalin, mm -hmm. nothing of putting their spouse on Clonopin or Prozac, right? And knocking back two or three drinks every night to take the edge off. Right. And maybe even smoking cigarettes because that's all socially sanctioned or normative. Mm. But they would, they would get divorced. And this is true. This is in the hypothetical. I've seen this three times in the last couple of years, couples getting divorced versus seeking MDMA couples therapy, which could have could have created some form of They get divorced without at least exploring yes, yes. different because modalities. I would, because I don't want to lose control. Mm. I'm terrified of losing control and or that seems beyond the pale. So I'd rather get divorced yeah. than explore. Yeah, for mm. sure. And so, so for those guys, steering, getting out of the ruts of consensus opinion is, mm. is their sort of weak link, right? But each of those folks has a core value. Right? So the hedonist says, I value the fullest range of human experience and sucking the matter out of life. Right? The purist says, I value the sanctity of mind and body. And the conformist says, I value the evidence and the advice of experts. Um, right? Yeah. So you're like, let so so do all of them. Yes. So what if you pull them all together and, and stand up as hedonic engineers? Mm -hmm. Where you're like, okay, can we do all three of those things? Can we seek the full range of human experience with evidence and the advice and oversight of experts and value and appreciate the sanctity of mind and body. Right. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So that's the potential way, right? <laughs> what do you do to heal your traumas? Yeah. Personally, what does Jamie do? Oh, what do I do? Um, and what was, the, what was the hardest trauma to overcome? Well, look, I mean, the, okay, that's a deeper question and a really interesting one because, and I could be off base on this, but for me, um, my sense, I mean, my sense is, is there's micro and macro traumas yes. probably for all of us right and yeah. so we've talked about the, the micro, big t the little t's the micro ptsd is the can i squeegee out the impacts to my nervous system that accumulate through the day to day uh -huh. and they can some of them can be shit, but i can, yeah. I can fundamentally the stress this yes. the boss or whatever yeah but i can metabolize them they are most destructive in the accumulation of them over yes. time on process but yes. that this, i can take the hits and the body shots and as let they it, come, yeah right so that i can get rid of via Yoga, breath work, hot, cold bathing, you know, mm -hmm. all, all the mm -hmm. things, right? And that's what you do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean I'm, I'm uh, yes, I'm also a lazy person. 
But the big traumas, the big shames, the big how, tra- how have the, you... The deep ones there, um, there's two things. One is that full body brain re- system reset. So when I was describing that full stack, right, that spasming, I mean, and funnily enough, like the vagal nerve, which is just, you know, that central piece, it is, it's triggered by goggling, by choking, by humming, by vacating our, our bowels by, mm-hmm. by top and bottom. Like it's literally by spasming, retching, puking. Like if you've ever puked into a toilet and then had your like eyes yeah. watering and you're like, <sighs> like that, like that's actually highly strong vagal stimulation. And you're like, oh my gosh, like us at our rawest, most revealed, most pathetic, are we are also at our most profound. Mm. And you're like, wow. And, and, most of, and, and that's such a scary like the same way like tremor release people like I'm not gonna do that that's a spaz like I'm not spaz I'm in control like right that idea of like us like spasming shuddering to discharge what's in us right is is a potentially highly effective way Mm. to practice I guess I mean this will be a mouthful of a word but neurophysiological psychoarchaeology Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So using our neurophysiological, using our body and brain to conduct psychoarchaeology, which is to unearth the layers of our nervous system and our memory storage to get down to both root pain and release it with the energy that is coursing through our system, flushing out plaque, mm-hmm. right? Like the water pick for our soul, right? And then to come back to homeostasis, to come back to balance mm-hmm. and just... You know, like if you've ever, have you ever had like structural, like rolfing or structural, yes. intricate, like stuff like that? Yeah. And, and they're like, don't go lift any weights for the next yeah. couple of days. Like just go <laughs> yeah, just nice be. walks, wear some barefoot <laughs> shoes, like that kind of thing. Like, and let us come yeah, back realign to or, yeah. center. Yeah. And, and so that process, and again, regardless of mm. the methodologies, mm-hmm. but that process of deep brainstem reset, mm-hmm. tremor release and repack, you know, and, and, and return to center. a sort of sacramental cadence, like a way for us to put this into our lives. We talked about the bell curve, 10% mm-hmm. should never touch the stuff, 80%. We talked about schedules of calendars through life. Fundamentally, all of these practices, like if we're going to hedonically calendar this, like right. how do we put this not just into a life, but like into our weeks and our months and our year, right? Then you can realize that these, these experiences serve three roles. They serve as metronomes, tuning forks and training wheels, right? So the metronome part is, oh, I've returned to center and I am now on the, on the pulse, right? And that could be my coherent heartbeat. That could be my breath. That could be the sunrise and the seasons. That could be dancing mm-hmm. with my lover. That could be, right, speaking my truth, right? I'm on the pulse. And, and, and I might've been galloping along, razzed out, stressed out, trying to force it. And it, nothing was, I was always kind of like pushing life or I could have been depressed, lagging, slow, and always missing, right? So then I get, boom, I'm back on the one. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's the beat. Okay, that's good. I remember this. Mm-hmm. Because this feels familiar. And then there's the tuning fork, which is, you know, we get banged up. Life, you know, we, we take hits. Mm-hmm. We get knocked out of tune. And we might not know that we're sharp or flat. We might not know that there's, there's just an edge to everything we're saying right now, but our but people love us too, <laughs> you know, and, and we, and, and then we, and then ping, like there's the tuning fork, middle C, where's yours? And you're like, oh, I, oh, I thought I was 
in key. So like, you know, Stevie Wonder, like songs in the key of life. Mm. So it returns us to that. And then the final part is training wheels, which is like, oh, what does it feel? What does balance feel like? Where I don't have to be afraid of protecting myself. And can I actually feel this for a moment and get used mm. to it? And that's what the MAPS work with trauma sufferers has been, right? They, they, they experience MDMA as training wheels. And there was a beautiful report from one of the women who was in the study. And she's like, you know, I, I didn't think that I could experience this anymore. I didn't think wow. I deserved it. I didn't think I had it in me. And now I realize it's in me wow. and it's mine. And it's not the drugs, right? It's in me. Mm. So this reawakened that it was in me. Now it's in me. Yeah. And so this, the, the metronome tuning force training wheels is like, this is how we begin again. And, and I think a key piece is that we're almost always sold a bill of goods, a happily ever after hockey stick utopian story. If you take this product, this pill, this workshop, this religion, if you mm -hmm. do the things, right. it all works out happily ever after. And, and that's kind of what I meant about like the transcendental existentialism. No, it fucking doesn't. No one promised us a rose garden and no one's told us how this ends. And we really could be a bunch of lucky monkeys hurtling through the void as time and space. We just don't know. And anybody who pretends to is full of shit. But what we do know is that we have the chance, like life is equal parts. Like we know life is tragic. Like that one's not that hard, but can we actually face the fullness of it in, mm. in a way that ennobles us, right? Occasionally life is magic mm. and we forget that, right? But when we find it, it's like share the, share the love and remember what we've forgotten. And whipsawing back and forth between those two is crazy making, right? <laughs> so, so if we didn't have each other, Right, we, to laugh with, like it, we, we should, we can acknowledge it's comic as well. Mm. So it's tragic, it's magic, and it's comic, and that and that maps beautifully, right? Like the tragic, the tragic. How do we address the tragedy through healing, through catharsis? The magic. How do we how do you address that? That that's through. How do we remember that? Right through peak experiences. Mm. That's ecstasis, and the comic. How do we share the the absurdity of this human condition with each other? and humor and lightness. And that's communitas, mm. that's connection. Mm -hmm. So like, that's the flywheel of our lives. There's no getting off this thing. And, and really only our efforts to escape all three. We cherry pick, right? We're like, oh, I'll, t I'll, t I'll, take, I'll take magic and comic for a thousand, please, Alex. You're like, no, not so much. And you're all three. It's all three all the time. And sort of we're like, we're never fully fixed and we're never totally broken. Hmm. But if we have, like, but if we have the capacities, and that's why you know we mentioned you, you mentioned earlier, like friends of ours who are forever going back to the wishing well, looking for the next breakthrough, looking for the next Shazam insight, but they're like up to their ears in those things, right? That may not be the path, right? It's like Dolly Parton, like there ain't no saint without a past and no sinner without a future. Mm. You know, so you're just right. you're just you know, and back to redemption songs. We get knocked down, and we get back yeah. up again. So like this thing is a process. And, and yet it's not simply like, suck it up, fat kid. Right. You know, it's, it's not some bitter cynicism, <laughs> right? <laughs> to, to say that because the magic is magic. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there is that process of like becoming, you know, what in the traditions, you know, so East and West, there's some version of like becoming twice born, right? Having a death rebirth experience mm -hmm. right and what does that always say it always it, i mean you know it, it's it, i'm not going to pull a joseph campbell here and like sure. just universalize but the idea is like consistently like plato said you know the eleusinian mysteries teach us not only how to die a better death but how to live a better life Ooh, 
right? Yeah. The early Christian Gnostic, same thing. You know, Eastern traditions, Lakota, Sundance, you name it. Like all around the world is that death rebirth experience. And and what I was sharing earlier is it like an ego death as well? You mean identity death? Uh... Yeah, I mean I mean any and all of those things, but mm-hmm. that that stack, mm-hmm. nitric oxide, big on the delta, cranial nerve, brainstem reset, but all that. That's actually the first time we've actually mapped the neurophysiological ingredients under the hood mm. of all the world's wisdom traditions of death, rebirth, wow. initiation. So now that we've mapped that, we get, we're like, that's the neuroanthropology. You're like, oh, how are they doing this stuff? Now let's apply it. Now let's look under the hood and understand yeah. the science behind it. Now we can do culture architecture. Now we've got the Lego blocks. What do you want to build right. with the Lego that's blocks? Right. And, and once you know that, then you have the experience to be like, oh, go see for yourself. Don't this, this yeah. goes back to faith. So this is your, your seed from way back when, which was how do we experience faith to overcome the grief? We can construct practices for ourselves in our own homes, in our own relationships, in our own communities, in our own existing bodies of faith or in new ones, whereby we can have that death rebirth experience, right? And actually come back a second time mm. by choice. Mm-hmm fully embracing and accepting the mystery and the responsibility and the possibility and and then choosing to be here fully so it's like go hunt your white whale like he's out there like if you really want to find um god the universe and everything right imminently searchable these days more so than ever before scratch that itch and when you're done scratching (laughs) right and hopefully it's sooner than later because you're needed Come home, come all the way home, and and that notion of like anthropos is the Greek term. It sort of you know, rolls into early Christianity as well. It's like it's like Vitruvian man or Vitruvian human, like fully integrated, fully balanced, heaven and heart. You know, like heaven and hell, head and heart, masculine, feminine, right, right and left, like integrated human who's here. And and like in Zen, they have the ten ox herding parables, right, which is like this metaphor for enlightenment there's like 10 different beautiful pen and ink drawings and like the dude's going you know looking for looking for enlightenment finds it and then there's all these super complicated distinctions which i never understood i'm like damn i I, like panel four was like i was like that's it right (laughs) it's like no 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 there's like a whole bunch more panels and there's a whole bunch more distinctions but then like the 10th panel is this like fat little buddha dude with a pot belly and a walking stick and it says his doors and windows are locked even the wisest sages and scholars cannot find him he is down in the marketplace among the people with helping hands, mm. right? And so when enlightenment, when attainment, when anything fancy pants becomes so utterly ordinary, right, that it's no longer extraordinary, mm-hmm. like when we can go from like waiting for the second coming to, to celebrating the umpteenth coming, like we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. No one gets out of here alive and all of us or none of us, you know, like that yeah. feels like the greatest story ever told. Like, like, and, and, and you know, and back to Star Wars, right? We are hardwired for that story, hardwired. I mean, Kurt Vonnegut, right? He wrote Cat's Cradle, Slaughterhouse-Five, all those things. He had this beautiful, he did his grad work at the University of Chicago and he mapped the shapes of stories. And like stories all have basic shapes and he kind of laid them out. He's like, there's the up and the down, but there's, there's, there's rags to riches. You know, you start out terrible and things end awesome. You've got boy meets girl and it starts out meet cute. They break up, oh no, and they get together happily ever after. And then he's like, but the most popular one of all is the Cinderella story. Mm. And, it, and it starts out terrible and, and, it's, and then it goes, you know, um, pumpkins and princes and stroke of midnight and then 
ends up really even worse than ever. Everything's lost, right? And then, you know, the foot fits the shoe and princes and church bells and happily ever after forever. So it's down, then up, then really, really down, then really, really up. And you could make a case that we are in our own Cinderella story right mm. now. We are at the stroke of midnight, right? The, the, the bulletin of atomic scientists who has the doomsday clock they've been tracking mm -hmm. since like 1947, right? How close are we to snuffing it? Mm. It's the closest it's ever been. We're at 100 seconds to midnight in our very own Cinderella story. True. Right? So, so what comes next? And who writes this story for all of us and our children and their children? Oh, my gosh. Right? Is on us. And like if you think of like Buckminster Fuller said, you can we create a future that works for 100% of the people without offense to any, right? In, in, a, in a world that we know is possible. And you're like, oh, okay. So this is really it. This is, this is you know, X-Wings and Death Stars, right? This is Mount Doom and Mordor, right? These are all the stories we know, mm -hmm. right? And we have not just our, our mythologies that, that, that we know in our bones, this is how it goes. Um, you know, would we want anything less? If you had to pick when to show up in history, wouldn't you be like, I want to be the ones in triple overtime that sink the winning shot? Right, right, of course. Right? You know, and it's going to be at a cost not less than everything. And it requires us at full strength. And it requires that we have to be able to heal. We mm. have to remember what we forgot. We can't, we have to keep our eye on the prize. If we get, you know, if we, if we only focus on the tragic, then the, the mundaneness of the world will crush us. Yeah. But if we only focus on the magic, then, then, then the burning bush will burn us, right? And we have to do this together. Like, we, we, we have to walk each other home. <laughs> so, I'm curious then, what's the biggest trauma you've had to overcome? I mean, I think being a misfit toy. You, know? you being a misfit toy. Yeah. From your parents or something, or from well, from everything, like 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 South African mother, English father, then moved to America, dropped into Catholic school, like like in, in, like being like two years younger than all the kids in my class, mm. just being like, what the hell is this thing, and who are these people, and what are their strange customs, and why don't I fit, right? And so. My sense is that as we do this growing up thing, right, you can shed, it doesn't take too much support or perspective or insight to be like, oh, I'm doing that, that's totally unconscious, I should clean my room or do the dishes or make mm -hmm. my bed or stop being an asshole or stop withdrawing and, and hiding from somebody's, you know, we're running away from emotional intimacy or something, something, right? And, and you can shed those, you know, and, and most well-intentioned, mature folks tend to. But then there's this kind of like this core, it's sort of like who we actually are. And then you start getting to that place that's more like a bee with a stinger, you know, where you're like, oh, okay, so that's a definite drawback. It creates unfortunate things in my life. But if I take it out, I disembowel myself. Like it is the shadow of actually the rest of my life. And so mm, now it's, it's pushing me also, it's driving me also. Yeah. And like and and if I got rid of that, I would actually be lobotomizing what uh, is my potential interesting, gift. Interesting. So now how do I live with that and also just generally not be so like, how do I, right? Because you could say, let me or leave me, you know, take it or leave it, right, which right. I think is inadequate. So how do you heal it also and live with it, I guess? Yeah, I mean, you know. How have you, or what, what has that process well, been like for you? Well, I mean, look, first of all, my filter is my family, and they are hard judges. 
right? <laughs> um, so, so in fact, I'll, I'll, I can actually, this, this is an interesting point because this is the sort of um, a, a thought experiment or a model on um, how we become twice born or how we become homegrown humans, right? So I was at the kitchen table with my wife, Julie, and we, we've been together since college. Wow. So we, have, we grew up together. And we were kind of going at it. Like it was about as intense a conversation as we typically have. Recently? When was this? Yeah, this was like a year ago. Okay. Pre-COVID? Yes. Although funny story about that. We were talking last week and, and we were just, first time we'd got to really connect heart to heart about our relationship in a while. And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, it felt like we started drifting. I don't know. Was it like six, nine months ago? Sometime in this thing, I just felt a little less close to mm. you. And then she's like, yeah, um, you know, like a year ago, COVID happened and then the wheels came off life. I was like, oh. That was it. You know, like that was, I had completely forgotten in my relational map that COVID happened. Mm. And it might have had some impact, which was just like, you know. Um, so, but a year ago, before COVID, we were having, like, there were times in the first few years, like teenagers still, where I just did some dumb, stupid things mm-hmm. and, 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 and left scar tissue. Mm-hmm. Of course, we had processed them at the time, paved over that. Here we are. Yeah. But nonetheless, still in the mix. And, it's still and there. Still, it's, yeah, still somehow in the mix, right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I find like, I mean, you know, obviously we were super young and, and we, we are each other's relational history for the mm-hmm. most part, which yeah, in some course. respects is a blessing. There's, no, there's nothing else in the closet. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like it's, just it's all, all you us guys all the time, right? <laughs> um, but she was really still anchored on some of that just kind of core mm-hmm. places I hadn't been fully supporting her, right? And yet, we had also just had these amazing and profound breakthrough experiences where it felt like our life was as complete as we could ever hope, mm. want, or dream. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you dragging us back in the past? Like, here, we've already won. Right, like, we're every, here. Like, we got there, like, it worked, right? And, and at first I was like, oh, like, here's this timeline, our like mythic life, you know, and you're stuck down on our biographical life and you're anchoring off past trauma and stupid. Like we're up here. We won. Right. Come with me up here. And I was like, oh, that's not quite right. Is it? Cause that's like a bit of a bypass and this is our life. We actually live it and, yeah, and lived experienced it. it. So we have to yeah. honor that. Like, so I was like, what's, what's that about? And I was like, oh, well maybe we can like meet them. Maybe we can braid them. And I was like, oh, okay. So now I had this kind of thought of, and I even started sketching it, and it looked like a Jesus fish, right? You know, you know those, those, those arcs, right? Uh-huh. And they cross the tail. You see more yeah, bumper yeah. stickers, you know, on minivans. And I was like, oh. So this is, this is like the DNA Jesus fish. You're like, it starts at our birth, and, it, and, and where the tail crosses, that's our death. Physical death or initiatory death. Uh-huh. We all have our biographic life. That's the arc of our life, right? And it does actually slump downwards. Like all the happiness studies are like 20 to 40 is your suck. Your 30 to 50 is your suckiest time. Really? People say, oh, kids are the best thing ever. Like all happiness studies say <laughs> folks in your 20s are super stoked and folks in their 50s are super stoked wow. and everybody in between is in a suffer fest, right? So anyway, but that, that's, that's, that's beside <laughs> the point, right? And, and along the way, we have trauma. Mm. We get our adverse childhood events and our adverse life events. So you can just sort of see those dots along the way. If we have a lucky, if we're lucky or skillful, um, mostly just lucky, we'll have a peak experience. 
It could be a camp out and you see shooting stars or a full mm -hmm. moon. It could be your first rock concert and everybody's holding up lighters or phones. Right. And everybody's sink belting out the chorus. Yeah. Like, yes, this is it. This is right. epic. It could be your first love. Take your, you know, take our picks. And you have one. Okay, that's one data point. You think that was amazing. I look back on it fondly, but I don't get more of that. There's no pattern recognition. Yeah. But, but you get back two two times, then you get back three times. Now three points make a trend, and there might be three, four, five of those, and you're suddenly like, oh, I connect the dots backwards, I can actually see this arc, and it actually starts feeling like a bit of a story, and it's my story, and it's my mythic story. It's like mm -hmm. me and my highest, my best self. Right. A lot of people go way off the reservation on this, like, oh, I've recovered past lives, or oh, I'm actually a star being, or oh, I'm something, 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 right? But it's just because you be like, hey, let's just call it, this is your mythic life. This is you at full strength, maximum imaginal possibility. And now I've got a plot there. Mm. Now what happens is people start exploring this, especially as they get into strong, unstructured, ungrounded access to ecstatic technologies, right? And certainly psychedelics are an easy example of that, but not the only one. Um, they will get out of phase. They will mm. get out of time with their partners. And this is what was happening with me and Julie. So I was on our leading edge in mythic life. She was anchoring off our bleeding edge huh. in biographic life. Right, and so people will come back from a meditation retreat, a personal growth workshop, a psychedelic retreat. Ah, like, it's amazing. Out. I solved it. I love you. Everything's going to be different. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm amazing. You're amazing. Yeah. I'm sorry. And 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 what will happen quite often is that the pers the people we come home to, like, like yeah, slow, you? slow your yeah. roll, like not so fast, like I'm, I'm suspicious or I'm judgmental or I'm skeptical or let's see if this. I will trust you. Yeah. Let's see if this sticks. And and the person who's just had that peak experience is often quite like. This is the new me. This is who I always have been. Yeah. This is who I am most truly deeply. This is it. And they often dissociate mm. from all the past places they might have had a hand in, right? The past right. trauma. So, right, right. But the person who's been holding the home for it is like, until you get down off your high horse and shovel some shit, right. I'm not willing to trust you and, and, and come along for the ride of your life. Mm. Like if you want me to come along for the ride of my life, you actually have to come back and make amends. And so that's, we, we literally are meat suits. We're sitting across mm. a table together, but we're actually unstuck in time from each other and from painful pasts or, or fantastic futures. So the leading edge gets out of phase with our bleeding edge. So we really need like 4D psychology, which is not just here's me and I'm me and, and you're you, but when are we? <laughs> right? <laughs> when are we? And if we? And if we can get into the deep present together, then beautiful. Right, right, right. Insight, truth, connection, inspiration, all sorts Intimacy, of everything, yeah. Everything, right? And so if over time we can repeat that process via the flywheel of peak states that remind us what we've forgotten, right? Deep healing, because they don't just do that. Peak states seem to do two things. They, they seem to remind us what we forgot. Mm. The technical term is anamnesis. You're like, oh yeah, I remember almost drop that stitch how could i have duh that's the whole point but they also give us like a printout of our like homework like mm. here, it's like an electrician running like juice through your system You're like you got a blown fuse a crimp wire go fix this shit yeah. right so we do our homework and catharsis and then we validate it with each other right and because we're outside lineages because we're outside of having people tell us what to do or deferring to authority these days we do still have each other and then that's what keeps us honest and that's what keeps us human Right, so you could be like Saul, you know, like 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 Paul from the road to Damascus. He's like, oh yeah, that Saul guy, you know, he was a total son of a bitch and a tax collector, and I get it. I mean, he's a dickhead, but I'm Paul, baby. You know, can't you see? And she's like, yeah, no, I mean, he's a son of a bitch, and so let's wait. 
But if we do it over time, then we braid the mythic life. We mm. bend the mythic life down, and it becomes more of our embodied experience because mm-hmm. we've integrated and yeah. done the hard work. But we're also lifting up our biographic work. And then you get to that death-rebirth experience. And then, and then, and rather than that being the end of our physical lives, right, we get to have it early. Mm. And then you're like, ah, okay, so now I'm no longer struggling to get off the hook, right? I am no longer trying to transcend or bypass my life, right? I'm actually embracing it fully. I'm shouldering my yoke, right? And that, I mean, this is, you know, mildly esoteric, but it's, it's too beautiful not to share, which is, you know, the biographic life is chronos, like Greek, the Greek term for like clock time, mm-hmm. right? Past, present, future in order. Uh, life's a bitch and then we die. And then sacred time, right? What we experience when we glimpse our mythic lives is called kairos. And in the esoteric traditions, like kairos is the vertical beam, that's sacred time, and chronos is the cross beam, mm. right? And we live on that plane, but we can have access to this one. And when we find ourselves at the intersection, that's what the Rosicrucians, right, called the rosy cross. That is anthropos. That is timeless Christ consciousness. Mm. And you're like, oh, neat. <laughs> <laughs> so can we bear witness to the tragic, to the magic, to the comic, right? And then can we live out the remaining chapters of our life, right, with joy, with mm-hmm. grace, with creativity, mm-hmm. right? Because we know how it ends. I mean, this goes, now we'll finish with faith, right? So, so... Elton Trueblood, who was a Quaker theologian, he was a Stanford chaplain, he was also advisor to Dwight Eisenhower, he, was, mm. he, he played a huge role in, in, you know, he was one of the few Anglos to be advocating against the Japanese internment camps, all kinds of neat stuff. And he said something, and he was actually the grandfather of my college roommate and best friend. Mm. So, but, um, so I've, I've known this quote for 25 odd years. Um, he said, faith then is not belief without proof. Right? So it's not just superstition, but rather it's trust without reservation. Mm. Right? So we get to have that initiatory experience. Right? And it reminds us of what is always deeply and eternally true. And, and in some respect, you know, from time to time, I wouldn't say this is consistent, but it shows up in the literature of subjective self-reports. There is something known as eschatesthesia, which is a persistent sense of the eschaton or the end of time. Right? And when people seem to glimpse it, there is a kind of curiosity of, like, it all works out. Yeah. Don't know how. Yeah, somehow it all works out. 51 to 49, <laughs> nail-biter. <laughs> but somehow, somehow, right, Jordan pulls the three. Yeah. Right? And, and whether that's true, whether that's fiction, whether that's, you know, synaptic discombobulation in a total hallucinatory, you know, hallucinatory state, TBD. But folks can come back from that experience saying, hey, I know how it all works out. Right? And we're getting to come back to play out these middle chapters. We've seen the end of the movie, right? right? So we can relax a little. It's, but here's the thing. It's not like Calvinist predestination. You're not like, oh, we're already saved or we're already damned. So like, close my eyes and hands off the wheel. I don't need to try, right? It's 49.51, which means mm. every single calorie between here and there counts, right. <laughs> which means we're still 100%. So we're off the hook of like neurotic, wonderings about is there something more do i have a place or do i have a but we're on the cross mm. right? right of kairos and chronos to say i bear witness i bear witness to this full catastrophe and, and and on behalf of the least of my brothers and sisters right and 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 to to pull that around right that that we talked about soul force right that martin luther king phrase and how he got it from howard thurman 
right? That badass mystic who went to see Gandhi. And this is crazy. I was, I was interviewing Rick Doblin from MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association mm-hmm. for Psychedelic Studies. And out of nowhere, he just blurts this out. He's like, oh, you know that Good Friday experiment, which was that famous experiment in like 1962 or three at Harvard, at, at Boston Chapel, where they gave a bunch of Harvard Divinity School students psilocybin mm. during a Good Friday service. And everybody knows that story. It's one of the most well-reported ones. It's been replicated at Johns Hopkins. And, and, they could, and then they could not tell the difference between who had had a legitimate, you know, a legitimate mystical experience and who'd been on the psilocybin. And actually, none of the folks in the control group went on to become ordained ministers. And eight of the nine who had psilocybin did. So very, very interesting study, right? Mm. And everybody kind of knows that part of it. And then Rick, just out of nowhere, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know who the chaplain was delivering the sermon? Howard Thurman. Mm. So I was like, what? You had to kidding me. I was going to write about Howard Thurman anyway. That's amazing. Let me dig up the audio. So, and they recorded it. Wow. So there's Howard Thurman, this badass who shaped the entire African-American civil rights movement, who coined the term soul force. And he tells this story to a bunch of, to a chapel full of tripping mystics. He says, <laughs> he says, I hear a voice crying out in the wilderness, forgiveness. And I go out to see him and I find a man on the cross. And I say, I have to take you down. He says, you cannot take me down. You cannot take me down until every man, woman, and child comes to take me down. He says, tell everyone you meet, there's a man on the cross. There's a man on the cross. And you're just like, mm. right? Tell everyone we meet, right? We, like, it's, it's time to stop mm. waiting for the second coming, mm. right? And it's time for us to step up, right? Every man, woman, and child. Wow. And, and you know, the beautiful part of it is, is that if, if we can learn to weep and not whimper, right? <laughs> if we can digest our grief, if we can remember our redemption song, then we don't just get to limp each other home or walk each other home. We get to dance each other home, mm. right? This gets to be profound celebration. But the longer we delay, the harder the landing. Yeah. And the sooner we get on this, right, the more joyful and creative what we create next for our Cinderella story can be. Yeah. Wow. I wish we could go for much longer, but <laughs> I think this is a lot for people to take on right now. Dude, that's a lot. And, and, <laughs> it's a and, lot and, and I'm right to unpack. At, it's 2.30, is it already? That's one thirty. Oh, sweet. Yeah, you sweet, get, sweet, sweet, sweet. Okay. <laughs> that's why I was looking at my clock, because I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, were in a, we were in a flow state. Uh, this is a lot for people to unpack. Yeah. I, I had a lot more questions and things I wanted to go over, but uh, I think this is a good place to land the plane. Yeah. Uh, recapture. The Rapture, Rethinking God, Sex, and Death in a World That's Lost Its Mind. This is going to blow your mind in a big way, so make sure you guys get a copy of this. I've got a couple final questions uh, to wrap things up. Um, (laughs) One is called uh, the Three Truths question. I ask everyone at the end, hypothetical question. Uh I'd like you to imagine it's your last day on Earth, many years away from now. You get to live as long as you want. Nice. You get to accomplish everything you want to accomplish. Okay. But for whatever reason, you have to take everything with you you've created to the next place. Okay. So all the books, the writing, the videos, it all goes with you wherever you go after. King Tut. It all goes with you. All right. Hypothetical. 
but you get to leave behind three lessons to the world. This is all we would have to remember you by are these three lessons that you've learned from all your experiences, and this is all we could know of you. Mm. Or like to, I like to call it three truths. Uh-huh. What would you say would be your three truths? Huh. Well, I mean, this is, it's, it's even more like three truths. This is literally what picks me up off the floor when I am destroyed mm. by staring at the screaming abyss and okay. feel like there's no point to any of it. What is that? Yeah. It is seek novelty, make art, help out. Okay, there you go. Help out. Yeah. Because like, so, so like seek, seek novelty is we're hardwired for dopamine, we're hardwired for newness. Mm-hmm. And whenever I feel like I'm festering, it's because my novelty meter is way low. You're doing the same thing over and over, yeah. Sunrises, sunsets, new places, new experiences, go seek novelty. Mm-hmm. Make art is some form of testimony. It's like, can I rail mm. against the second law of thermodynamics and that everything trends towards entropy and decay over time and a cold heat death of an uncaring universe? So, f- made, build something beautiful. Yeah. And that could be a garden, that could be a poem, that could be a building, but make art. Like, say, I was here. Mm. I made this place a little more good, true, and beautiful. Mm. And then finally, like, and if I figured out the first two, share it. Yeah. That's cool. It's good truths. I want to acknowledge you, Jamie, for uh, <laughs> your constant seeking of wisdom from science to ancient uh, philosophy to bringing it all together for something that we can hopefully apply and use for healing trauma, for understanding this earth, for understanding connection, why we're having massive breakdowns in the world, what to do about it for ourselves and how to help others. So I acknowledge you for doing this work. I remember Jason Silva telling me probably four or five years ago about you, and it's been fun to watch your journey and see what you've created with this book, which is going to blow people's minds. So I acknowledge you for doing the hard work for uh, diving into the misfit that you are and were growing up and allowing it to be a beautiful piece of art for right now because I'm sure there was a lot of things that had to happen for you to be here. So I acknowledge you for, for making this art and sharing it with the world in a beautiful way. My final question, uh, and people can get the book online, they can go to your site, where can we go and find this this book and you? and Yeah, I mean, online. obviously if you've got a local independent bookstore, share, share the love for sure. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Amazon and everything else works just fine and recapturetherapture.com is a place to find the book, but also find tools, resources. The intention is for this book to seed a revolution, not lead one, Mm. and let a thousand fires burn. So Mm, we have an open source toolkit for anybody to play with culture architecture and help healing, inspiration, and community Mm. wherever you are. Recapturetherapture.com. What about on social media? Are you spending a lot of time on anywhere specifically? Yeah, on Instagram, it's at Flow Genome. Mm -hmm. And then on Facebook, Flow Genome project i think okay. probably be this. that's your main focus cool final question for you what's your definition of greatness oh nice one nice one let's try and come up with something that's original <laughs> um i mean honestly i i think it is um seeking refuge in the dharma like the thing that's yours and yours alone to mm-hmm. do so like in you know in a, in a like Marvel Comics, it's Thor's hammer, mm. right? It's impossibly heavy for anybody else to touch, mm. but yours, it's the same as Excalibur. Like, find your hammer 
take the sword out of the stone and wield it with courage and compassion mm. and let the chips fall. My man. Jamie, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Powerful. Thank you so much for being here, for listening to this episode. I hope you found a lot of value from this. I hope it inspired you. I hope it gave you some wisdom, some tools, some strategies. If it did, please pay the greatness forward. Share this with a few friends. Text them right now. Post it on social media. You can use the link lewishouse.com slash 1100 and post that out. All the full show notes are there with links to the previous part one episode also. So make sure to share those out. Get your friends involved in some inspiration, some strategies, some tools to help them improve the quality of their life. And if you enjoyed this, please leave a review and a rating over on Apple Podcast and subscribe if you're not subscribed yet. That really helps us spread the message of greatness to more people. So rate, leave a review, and click the subscribe button on Apple Podcast right now to stay up to date. We've got over 1,100 episodes from some of the biggest minds in the world, some of the most inspiring human beings, authors, athletes, activists, you name it. We're trying to get the greatest of all time to help you unlock your greatness in your life. And if you want inspirational text messages sent to your phone every single week from me, then text me the word podcast right now to this number, 614-350-3960. And I want to leave you with this quote from Olympic champion Wilma Rudolph, who said, never underestimate the power of dreams and the influence of the human spirit. We are all the same in this notion. The potential for greatness lives within each of us. I want to remind you that greatness is not something that comes to people who are favored. You are born with greatness inside of you, but you've got to be willing to unlock it. You've got to be willing to take the steps to overcome the insecurities, the embarrassment, the shame, the guilt, the fear that holds you back. This is what you were born for. Your journey is the process of uncovering it. I want to remind you this. Again, if no one's told you lately, you are loved, you are worthy and you matter. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.